Welcome to the Cedar Fort Publishing Company, David J. Ridge's podcast, which correlates with this year's Doctrine and Covenants Come Follow Me study. Today's topic is Doctrine and Covenants sections 10 and 11. You may wish to have your scriptures with you as we study these two sections. I am the author of the study guide titled, Your Study of the Doctrine Covenants Made Easier. Let's dive right in. Sections 3 and 10 go together and deal with the loss of the 116 manuscript pages by Martin Harris. By way of brief background, Martin Harris, a rather wealthy and prominent citizen of Palmyra, New York, had become very interested in Joseph Smith and the gold plates. Consequently, Martin traveled to Harmony, Pennsylvania in February of 1828 and served as a scribe for Joseph as he translated from the gold plates. Martin's wife, Lucy Harris, was very angry and embarrassed about Martin's involvement with Joseph Smith and did everything she could to discredit it and discourage Martin from spending time with Joseph. Despite his wife's opposition, Martin continued as scribe, and by June 14, 1828, they had 116 pages of written translation so far. Martin asked Joseph if he could take the precious 116 pages home to show his wife and others in an attempt to stop the criticism and the gossip and wagging tongues and to prove that he was not wasting his time with a false prophet. After Martin asked Joseph if he could take the 116 pages home, Joseph asked the Lord. The Lord said, No. Martin asked Joseph to ask the Lord again. Joseph did, and the Lord said, No, again. Martin begged Joseph to ask again, and as many parents do under such circumstances, the Lord said, Okay, but put Martin under strict covenant to only show the 116 pages to five family members, including his wife and four others. Martin joyfully took the 116 pages home to Palmyra, New York, proceeded to break his promise, and the precious manuscript pages were lost. After about three weeks, Martin had not returned to Harmony, Pennsylvania with 116 pages to Joseph and Emma, who were anxiously awaiting there at their home. Very worried, Joseph anxiously traveled to the Palmyra area to find Martin and the manuscript but discovered from Martin that they had been lost. Joseph was devastated, as you can imagine. He returned home to Harmony. There, Moroni took the Urman Thummim from Joseph. Shortly thereafter, the Urman Thummim was returned, and Joseph received the revelation we now know as Section 3, in which Joseph was severely chastised. Afterward, the Urim and Thummim and the gold plates were taken from him. 
Can you imagine Joseph's feelings at this point in his education to be a powerful prophet of God? Let me quote from Joseph Smith's mother's writing. Let me just grab it here. About uh, how fe Joseph felt and what he did after having these things taken from him. His mother quoted him, saying, quote, After the angel left me, said he, I continued my supplications to God without cessation, and on the 22nd of September, I had the joy and satisfaction of again receiving the Urman Thummim, which, with which I have again commenced translating, and Emma writes for me, but the angel said that the Lord would send me a scribe. By the way, that will be Oliver Cowdery. And I trust his promise will be verified. The angel seemed pleased with me when he gave me back the Yerman Thummim, and he told me that the Lord loved me for my faithfulness, for my faithfulness and humility. By the way, that comes from Lucy Max Smith, Joseph Smith's mother, from Lucy Max Smith in her book, History of Joseph Smith by his mother. It's on page 135. Now, let's go ahead and look at section 10, which basically says what to do about the loss of the 116 pages. First, uh, a strong review of agency and personal accountability. That applies to all of us. First, let's go to Doctrine and Covenants section 10, verse 1, about this uh, accountability and agency which we have. Notice what the Lord says, how many times he says, Joseph, you did it, you caused this trouble. In other words, you are accountable. In verse 1, Now behold, I say unto you that because you delivered, again, you delivered up those writings. And then at the end of verse 1, uh, Into the hands of a wicked man, you have lost them. Verse 2, You also lost your gift. Verse 8, You have delivered the writings into his hands. Verse 9, you have delivered them up. Ouch. Well, it's true. And uh, Joseph was fully accountable. By the way, uh, did you notice how the Lord, as a parent disciplines his children. Did you notice some tender encouragement in verses 1 through 9? Look at verse 3. Nevertheless, and by the way, let's use verse 2 as background, and you also lost your gift at the same time, and your mind became darkened. Look at these tender and merciful words of a loving parent, in this case a loving savior, to his fledgling prophet. 
Verse 3, nevertheless, it, the gift that he had lost, is now restored unto you again. Therefore, see that you are faithful <clears throat> and continue on under the finishing of the remainder of the work of translation as you have begun. That would be very encouraging. By the way, that's very merciful. One of the major messages here for you and me is, yes, the Lord is very merciful. And we can feel that as we strive to do better and better in our lives. Another uh, very important part for Joseph, who now might be so anxious to move ahead with it that he could run his health into the ground, uh, with it. What does the Lord tell him in verse 4? Do not run faster or labor more than you have strength and means provided to enable you to translate, but be diligent unto the end. That can apply to us. Do not run faster or labor more than you have strength. That can be very, very important for us as we uh, go ahead and work the Lord and reminds us that we ought not to run our own health clear into the ground as we strive to do the Lord's work. Also, look at verse 5 by way of tender encouragement to Joseph. Pray always, this is verse 5, pray always that you may come off conqueror, yea, that you may conquer Satan, and that you may escape the hands of the servants of Satan who do uphold his work. It's important for us, too, to pray always, keep God in our minds constantly. Well, the Lord, again, is merciful to all of us, and if we listen to the voice of the Spirit, we will find ways to accomplish his work. Uh, do you see another major message in these verses, verses 1 through 9, where the Lord told Joseph that you are the one that did this, well, uh, let's look at verse 10. Um, there's a major message here that reminds us that Satan has the ability to put words and thoughts into our hearts. Verse 10, And behold, Satan hath put it into their hearts to alter the words. We'll give, come back to that in a minute. The main point in verse 10 is, Behold, Satan hath put it into their hearts. Verse 13. He hath put into their hearts. Another reminder that Satan has that ability to put thoughts in, and feelings into our hearts. And by way of temptation, verse 15 says it again. For behold, he has put it into their hearts. In other words, Satan has great power to, I don't want to use the word inspire because for me personally, I use the word inspire for members of the Godhead, for our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost who inspires us constantly. But I do recognize from what we've just read that Satan has a great power to put things into our hearts give us thoughts and feelings, anger, hatred, animosity, especially towards people that are trying to do what is right. And that's what's happening here in verse 10. Uh, let's look at it again, even in verse 20. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you that Satan has great hold upon their hearts. To me, that means their feelings, and that's where anger and hatred and animosity and cunning, undercutting of people's reputations and so forth comes from. Satan is an evil, evil, evil force in the world, and we have to be on constant guard against it. So, continuing, why does Satan put such evil in people's hearts? Uh, Doctrine Covenant section 10 is just packed with all kinds of messages. We won't have anywhere near enough time to cover them all, but we can give you a, a sample of how loaded these scriptures are. Well, so why does Satan put such evil in people's hearts? The answer we'll find, starting in verse 22. Satan stirreth them up that he may lead their souls to destruction. This is one of his ways of taking people into his own kingdom. Verse 26. And thus he flattereth them, these evil men that have taken the uh, 116 pages and plan to do some things with them, and we'll get to that in a minute. Verse 26, And thus he flattereth them, and leadeth them along, until he draggeth their souls down to hell. And thus he causeth them to catch themselves in their own snare. That's verse 26. Let's use one more verse. Verse 27, And thus he goeth up and down, to and fro in the earth. That's Satan to and fro in the earth, seeking to destroy the souls of men. Well, so Joseph, what do you do now? Well, verse 30 summarizes it. Behold, I say unto you that you shall not translate again those words which have gone forth out of your hands. In other words, First of all, don't retranslate the plates that you now have back again. Uh, Remember, by the way, that there are two sets of plates mentioned. One is the set from which you, Joseph, translated the part that has been lost now. And by the way, you can see that in verse 38a, Footnote A. Let's read verse 38. Uh, This is on the topic that there are two sets of plates that Joseph has in his possession now. Verse 38. And now verily I say unto you that an account of those things that you have written, in other words, that you have translated, which have gone out of your hands, is engraven upon the plates of Nephi. If you're making notes in your own scripture, you might put a little note right after the plates of Nephi at the end of verse 38 and just put the large plates of Nephi and put a little cross-reference, the large plates of Nephi. Put First Nephi chapter 9, verse 2. I'll say it again. A little cross-reference to 1 Nephi chapter 9, verse 2. The other set of plates is referenced 
and it's the small plates of Nephi that Mormon was inspired to put in with the gold plates that Joseph received from Moroni on Hill Cumorah. Remember, Mormon said he didn't know why he added them, but did it. You can find that in the words of Mormon, chapter 1. There's only one chapter there. Words of Mormon, chapter 1, verses 3 and 7, where he says he found this little set of plates among all the plates that he had, and he was delighted with them. And he said, I'm going to include these in this stack, which Joseph Smith will eventually receive, by the way. And in verse 7, he says he doesn't know why he's to do it. The Lord knows all things, but he doesn't. But the Lord has inspired him to put this little set of plates, which will be the small plates of Nephi, and include them in with the gold plates that Moroni will eventually give Joseph on Hill Cumorah. So, we have two sets of plates. If you'll go to verse 40, uh, well, in verse 39, at the end of verse 38, we had you make a little note, the large plates of Nephi, that's what the plates of Nephi there are at the end of verse 38. And in verse 39, yea, and you remember it was said in those writings that a more particular account was given of these things upon the plates of Nephi. If you want to mark that, plates of Nephi, put a little note after it and put the small plates. This is key to what Joseph is going to be told to do with respect to the loss of the 116 pages. And verse 40, and now because the account which is engraven upon the plates of Nephi, that's the small plates, is more particular concerning the things which, in my wisdom, I would bring to the knowledge of the people in this account. Therefore, so what do you do, Joseph? You don't retranslate. Verse 41, you shall translate the engravings which are on the plates of Nephi, and that's the small plates. And he gives a few more details. Translate the things on the small plates, which you have there, down even till you come to the reign of King Benjamin. In other words, uh, you will translate from the small plates, and we will know what he's translating from the small plates. We all know them as first Nephi, second Nephi, Jacob, Enos, Jerem, Omni. And then you'll see the words of Mormon where Mormon, the great prophet of the Book of Mormon, and the record keeper, he's making a note to us, transitioning from what Joseph will now retranslate from the small plates. He won't retranslate from the large plates. He will translate to replace what was lost from the large plates, and it will become, in our Book of Mormon, the books of First Nephi, Second Nephi, Jacob, Enos, Jerem, and Omni. And then things will pick up again as far as translating is concerned 
from the large plates as of King Benjamin, which is as of Mosiah. So the major message here, among many others, and Satan certainly doesn't like this, I'm sure, the major message is we came out ahead from the loss of the 116 manuscript pages because the small plates of Nephi from which Joseph will translate to replace the lost manuscript pages, those small plates contained more spiritual things than the large plates did. And we read that. Let's look at verse 45 in section 10 just to uh, get the summary of that. Verse, <clears throat> verse 45. Behold, there are many things engraven upon the plates of Nephi, that's the small plates, which do throw greater views upon my gospel. Therefore, it is wisdom in me that you should translate this first part of the engravings of Nephi, that's the small plates, and send forth in this work. So, uh, what will the rest of the Book of Mormon contain as he finishes translating from the small plates to replace the lost 116 manuscript pages? Well, the rest of the Book of Mormon, we're given a summary about what it will contain in verse 46. Let's read it. Verse 46, section 10. And behold, all the remainder of this work, in other words, the rest of the Book of Mormon, does contain all those parts of my gospel which my holy prophets, yea, and also my disciples desired in their prayers should come forth unto this people. We are the benefactors of all of this because it all became our wonderful Book of Mormon. Now, let's look at a term in verse 50. The term is eternal life. Let's define it. Verse 50 Section 10. And thus they did leave a blessing upon this land. These are the prophets and apostles from the Nephite nation. And thus they did leave a blessing upon this land in their prayers that whosoever should believe in this gospel in this land might have eternal life. What does eternal life always mean in the scriptures? It always means exaltation. You might make a note out of that at the end of verse 50, after having marked eternal life, just put exaltation. Now, in the time that we have left, let's look at several major messages here in section 10, and we'll also slip into uh, section 11 on some of these. One of the big messages that I messages that I receive from section ten is found in verse fifty two. Our prophets have emphasized this too. I remember President Hinckley very strongly emphasizing the, that. Verse fifty two and now behold, according to their faith in their prayers, will I bring this this the Saviour speaking will I bring this part of my gospel to the knowledge of my people? 
And the main emphasis, the main message now that I want us to focus on is the next sentence. Behold, I do not bring it. That means the true gospel, the gospel taught in the Book of Mormon and elsewhere. I do not bring it to destroy that which they have received, but to build it up. In other words, we shouldn't bash others and bash with others about religion. That doesn't do any good at all. What we need to do as we chat with them about our church and our gospel is to compliment them on what they have that is good in their belief system, in their church or whatever, but invite them to come and, and look at our gospel, which is the full gospel of Jesus Christ, because we can fill in the gaps with the true gospel. In other words, to summarize, don't bash others, just invite them to come, bring what they have that is good, and then fill in the gaps. Another of my favorite verses in section 10 is in verse 62. Yea, I will also bring to light my gospel, which was ministered unto them, and behold, they shall not deny that which you have received, but they shall build it up. Now, here's the main idea here. And shall bring to light the true points of my doctrine. If you're marking your scriptures, you might mark that phrase, points of my doctrine. Doctrine is the facts of the plan of salvation. Doctrine, by definition, is the facts that, and truths that God has given us and continues to give us in his gospel. For instance, doctrine, there is a God. That's true doctrine. Another point of doctrine. By the way, I love points of doctrine, not blunts, not foggy, hazy uh, notions like you find in many, many, many systems of belief. God gives us points of doctrine. For instance, another point of doctrine is that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father. Another point of doctrine is the Holy Ghost, is a gift that we get when we are baptized. Another point of doctrine is through the atonement of Christ we can be forgiven of our sins. Another point of doctrine was found in the January 1989 ensign, page 29, where Joseph Smith said the Holy Ghost is still waiting to get a body. In other words, a point of doctrine is the Holy Ghost does not have a body of flesh and bone, but someday we'll get one. We don't know any more than that, but that'll be interesting. Another point of doctrine is there are three degrees of glory in the celestial kingdom. Another point of doctrine is you have to be baptized by immersion by proper authority 
in order to enter this celestial kingdom unless you're a child who died before the age of accountability, and that's another point of doctrine. Points of doctrine. Celestial marriage is required for exaltation in the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. That's another point of doctrine. There, the doctrines of the gospel are thrilling uh, facts, and the hows and whys and whats of the gospel. Uh, we could go on for a long time here talking, just listing points of doctrine. Now he says that again in verse 63. And this I do that I may establish my gospel, that there may not be so much contention. Yea, Satan doth stir up the hearts of the people to contention concerning the points of my doctrine. There it is again, points of my doctrine. And because people don't have the true gospel, they can argue forever on many, many different things. They have no points. They have fogs. They have blunts. They have philosophies. They have uh, things that nobody can define because they don't have the scriptures or don't read them. They don't have prophets. They don't have the points of doctrine that we have. And so they rest the scriptures near the end there, verse 63. In other words, twist the scriptures and for their own purposes, usually to try and win arguments and do not understand them. So we are greatly blessed uh, with the points of doctrine. In fact, let's look at a, just a few of them in our time I'm watching the time here. Uh, let's go to verse 3 in uh, section 10 and see a very important point of doctrine. This is verse 3. And the point of doctrine here is that the atonement of Christ lets us leave the past behind and move forward toward exaltation. Let's read verse 3. Talking to Joseph, who has just been told that you did it, you did it, you did it. And verse 3, nevertheless, it is now restored. In other words, you have the gift of translation back, and you have the gold plates again. You have the thumb again. Nevertheless, verse 3, it is now restored, these marvelous gifts. Therefore see that you are faithful, and continue on unto the finishing of the remainder of the work of translation as you have begun. Once again, the doctrine here is that the atonement of Christ lets us leave the past behind and move forward toward exaltation. Let's go clear over to verse 57 and look at another point of doctrine. <clears throat> the doctrine here is that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 57, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's doctrine, marvelous doctrine. Verse 58, another point of doctrine, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Let's read verse 58. 
I am the light which shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. That's marvelous point. That's a marvelous point of doctrine. Let's look at verse 67 and remember and be taught that a marvelous doctrine is repentance works. Let's read verse 67. Behold, this is my doctrine. Whosoever repenteth and cometh unto me, the same is my church. In other words, repentance works. That's a simple, clear, very sharp point of doctrine, marvelous doctrine. Uh, let's look at a few points of doctrine in uh, section 11, which is also on our agenda for today. Uh, section 11 in verses 12 and 13 points out, by way of doctrine, that you can tell when the Spirit is with you by paying attention to what it does for you. For instance, look in verse 12. Uh, and now verily, verily, I mean, section 11, verse 12, And now verily, verily, I say unto thee, put your trust in that Spirit. In other words, the Spirit. You can tell when the Spirit is with you when you feel yourself being led to do good. Put your trust in that Spirit which leadeth to do good, yea, to do justly, to walk humbly, to judge righteously. And this is my spirit. So here's a very wonderful little group of <clears throat> points of doctrine that the spirit, you can tell when the spirit's with you, because it leads you to do good, it leads you to be just, in other words, fair and equitable. It leads you to be humble, and it leads you to judge righteously. When you're feeling those feelings, and when you're doing that, you know you have the Spirit with you. Also, verse 13 uh, will tell us that the Spirit enlightens our mind. When you feel... Uh, inspiration just come into your mind and enlighten your mind you know the spirit is working with you and also the spirit will fill your soul with joy when you just look at something or um, you're in church and you hear something or you're reading the scriptures and something fills your soul with joy or you're looking at your grandchildren or your children or your fiancé, and your soul is just filled with righteous joy. You know the Spirit is working in you and on you. Let's look at verse 13 and read it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, <clears throat> I will impart unto you of my Spirit, which shall enlighten your mind. If you're marking your scriptures, you might mark enlighten your mind which shall fill your soul with joy. And you might mark, fill your soul with joy. These are fruits of the Spirit. This is how you know if the Spirit is in you and upon you. Well, we're close to out of time now. 
So let's just note a few things about section 11. Section 11 was given to Hiram Smith, who was Joseph Smith's older brother. Hiram was almost six years older than Joseph. Hiram was born on February 9th in 1800, near the beginning of the year 1800. Joseph was born on December 23rd, 1805, in other words, near the end of 1805. So Hiram is Joseph Smith's older brother. He's almost six years older than Joseph. He is six feet four inches tall. We know that because the suit that he was wearing when he and Joseph were martyred in Liberty Jail, in Carthage Jail, excuse me, that's Carthage Jail, uh, the suit that he was wearing would require a man about six foot four to fill it. I've I've seen that suit, and it was a very sobering and special experience for me. By the way, at the time, Section 11 was given in May of 1829. Um, Hiram was not yet baptized. But Joseph will baptize him in Seneca Lake sometime, maybe a month later, sometime in June of 1829. Now, the major message, at least one of them in section 11 for me, is that there are some times when we're anxious to do something in the church or something that the Lord needs done, but we're not quite yet prepared and sometimes we have to just suppress our anxiousness and do more preparing. So the major message, one of them at least for me in section 11, is that Hiram is anxious to start preaching. He's not even baptized yet. But the Lord is going to tell him that he must wait and do more preparing before he starts preaching. Let's just finish up by looking at a few verses here that uh, indicate this. Let's go to verse 15. That's section 11, verse 15. Hiram, behold, I command you that... Now, I put the word Hiram in, in case you didn't notice. Hiram, behold, I command you that ye, you need not suppose that you are called to preach until you are called... You're very anxious, but just wait. You've got to do some more preparing. Verse 16, first line, wait a little longer until you shall have my word. In other words, you've got to learn more about the gospel. So just wait. Thanks for being anxious to get out and preach. But you're going to have to wait and do some more preparing. Look at verse 18 now. Keep my commandments, that goes for all of us. Hold your peace. In other words, just wait to get out there doing the preaching that you want to do. Look at verse 21. Seek not to declare my word, but first seek to obtain my word. In other words, Hiram, you've got to do some more preparing. Study the gospel, and when the time is right... Then shall your tongue be loosed. Then, if you desire, you shall have my spirit and my word. 
yea, the power of God under the convincing of men. The time will come, Hiram, when you will be able to go preaching, verse 22, but now hold your peace, study my word. And verse 26, and therefore treasure up in your heart. In other words, keep studying my gospel. Learn about the gospel. Learn how the gospel is to work and how you teach the correct doctrines and everything. Verse 26, therefore treasure up in your heart until the time. By the way, the time will finally come. You could put a little note there uh, outside of verse 26 or wherever you're putting notes. That section, he will get to start preaching about 11 months later in June of 1830. 11 months later in June of 1830. Put the scripture reference for that in section 23, verse 3. Well, I love the Doctrine and Covenants. The Spirit always teaches me more and more each time I study it and read it. I bear my testimony that this is the Word of God and that as we earnestly strive to learn the Gospel and live it, that we have the marvelous teacher, the Holy Ghost, to teach us as we study these scriptures. And I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.